0: And he wrote one of the most devastating songs in music history. George Jones' iconic He Stopped Loving Her Today. That podcast got me thinking about the power that songs have. Music and songs are truly amazing things. They have such power to move us, to make us feel things. I have a running playlist on my phone that I listen to before and during races because it gets my body in an emotional place to run. And at 7 in the morning, about to run 13 miles, now this was a couple years ago, mind you, you need to be in an emotional place to do it. There are songs that get me hyped up to work or to write when I'm feeling tired and run down. When I was in high school, I had these same songs that I'd always listened to before football games and before wrestling matches that would get me psyched up and ready to go compete. Songs can make me feel nostalgic for my childhood, and songs can make me feel hopeful for my future. Songs have this unique power to make us feel things and alter our emotions in a very short period of time. Have you ever been to a wedding reception, when Sweet Caroline comes on, <laughs> or an that. Nats <Or> game, <laughs> or when Don't Stop Believin' comes on? Did you go to a Nats game when they used to play Free fallen every game and thousands of people all found their falsettos? <laughs> Songs have an ability to raise our collective mood, to make us feel joy, nostalgia, happiness togetherness have you ever been to a wedding reception when a slow romantic song comes on like the way you look tonight or wonderful tonight or I can't help falling in love with you and the mood of the room immediately changes every person there is drawn away from their collective experience drawn away from group conversations or group dancing and each person is immediately focused on their significant other all because a song came on over the summer we're going to look at the power that songs have the power that they hold we're going to do that by looking at the songbook of the bible the Psalms the book of Psalms is filled with 150 songs that run the gamut of human experience And really look at what it is to be a person of faith. There are songs of praise and triumph. There are songs of tragedy and lamentation. There are songs that extol the faithfulness of God and glory in what it is for Israel to be God's people. There are songs that cry out to God to remember his promise to Israel and to act on their behalf. There are songs that praise those who live a faithful life And there are songs of deep confession over sin and wrongdoing. The psalms are real. They're felt. They're born of the connection of faith and life. There are a few psalms that are particularly well-known. There are psalms that bring us joy and comfort. There's Psalm 23 that speaks to the Lord's provision. There's Psalm 150, which we're going to look at next week, that is an explosion of praise and worship. It's And then there's Psalm 100 that we're going to look at in just a moment. It's short and sweet, just enough to be deep and powerful, yet memorizable and potentially tweetable. That's this app you use where you can write 280 character statements and put it, sorry, that was mean. These are the sweet Carolines and the don't-stop-believings, the I-want-to-hold-your-hands and the jailhouse rocks of the Psalter. The more and more you hear these songs, the more joy is brought to you by hearing them again. So let's take a look at Psalm 100. And just for fun, since these were the original worship songs, let's say it together, because it wasn't meant for one person to say, it was meant for a congregation to say Shout for joy to the Lord, all the earth. Worship the Lord with gladness. Come before Him with joyful songs. Know that the Lord is God. It is He who made us, and we are His. We are His people, the sheep of His pasture. Enter His gates with thanksgiving, and His courts with praise. Give thanks to Him, and praise His name. For the Lord is good, and his love endures forever. His faithfulness continues through all generations. Short and sweet. This is a psalm that I think can speak to all of us, hopefully most days and most times. This is a psalm that no matter where we are, even if we aren't feeling it, we can agree with. But most of the time, we're probably feeling it. This psalm is all about worship. This this is a psalm that calls the community, that calls the gathered people to worship. It initiates the worship of God and articulates a theology of worship. As we read the psalm, you can almost see the movement of the people from the outer temple court deeper into the temple where the presence of God resided. Shout for joy all the earth. Worship the Lord with gladness. Come before him with joyful songs. The people are called and gathered to worship. Why do we worship? Why do we come before the Lord with gladness? Because the Lord is God. It is he who made us and we are his. We are his people, the sheep of his pasture. That is why the Israelites have gathered at the temple and it's why we gather here today. God has made us and God is our shepherd. The psalm continues, Enter his gates with thanksgiving and his courts with praise. They are moving further and further into the temple, physically drawing closer to God. As we worship, as we move through worship, we too gather closer to God. We draw near to our Creator. We are gathered in by our shepherd. This is what happens in worship as we are nurtured and healed by the very presence of God. For the Lord is good and his love endures forever. His faithfulness continues through all generations. What's interesting about this psalm is the way it talks about entering God's presence and the specific phrasing it employs are similar to how you would talk about entering the presence of a king or an emperor. If you were to go before a king, you would be told all the accomplishments of that ruler. Here you stand before Caesar Augustus, Ruler of the known world. Son of God. Defeater of the Gauls, Saxons, Carthaginians, and Barbarians. I'm assuming he defeated them all. (laughs) Caesar is Lord. That is what you would hear as you would have walked into the presence of the emperor. As the singers of this psalm enter the temple, they are hearing about the deeds of their God. They are hearing their God is Lord. And they are implicitly called to serve this God as their leader, as their king, as their ruler. Similarly, when we come to worship, we learn to follow God. We learn to follow Jesus as our ruler, our leader, as our king. We are made to love serving Jesus more than we love serving the ruling powers of this world. We are recruited, headhunted as it were, to join a new kingdom and to bear that kingdom unto the world. This is a great psalm that has a lot to teach us and we could have spent even more time on this psalm. It's no wonder that people love to read, recite, and memorize this psalm. It's a psalm for every day. It's a psalm for all seasons. It's like don't stop believing or I want to hold your hand. No one gets sad when those those songs come on the radio. Whenever it comes on, it just brings us a sense of joy. There's another type of psalm though. And many in this type are not as famous, not as often read, not really memorized. There are plenty of psalms that fall into a very sad category, an angry category. Whereas Psalm 100 is all about worship, there are many psalms that are calling out to God to act, saying, where are you, God? Saying, defend us, God. There are psalms that talk about the cruel reality of living in a fallen world. There are psalms of deep confession. These are the depressing psalms. One of those is Psalm 51. I'm going to read it in its entirety. It's long, so I won't make you read it. Uh, And then we'll talk about the backstory. Have mercy on me, O God, according to your unfailing love. According to your great compassion, blot out my transgressions. Wash away all my iniquity and cleanse me from my sin. For I know my transgressions and my sin is always before me. Against you, you only have I sinned and done what is evil in your sight. So you are right in your verdict and justified when you judge. Surely I was sinful at birth, sinful from the time my mother conceived me. Yet you desired faithfulness even in the womb. You taught me wisdom in that secret place. Cleanse me with hyssop, and I shall be clean. Wash me, and I will be whiter than snow. Let me hear joy and gladness. Let the bones you have crushed rejoice. Hide your face from my sins and blot out all my iniquity. Create in me a pure heart, O God, and renew a steadfast spirit within me. Do not cast me from your presence or take your Holy Spirit from me. Restore to me the joy of your salvation and grant me a willing spirit to sustain me. Then I will teach transgressors your ways so that sinners will turn back to you. Deliver me from the guilt of bloodshed, O God, you who are God my Savior, And my tongue will sing of your righteousness. Open my lips, Lord, and my mouth will declare your praise. You do not delight in sacrifice, or I would bring it. You do not take pleasure in burnt offerings. My sacrifice, O God, is a broken spirit, a broken and contrite heart. God, you will not despise. May it please you to prosper, Zion, to build up the walls of Jerusalem. Then you will delight in the sacrifices of the righteous, in burnt offerings offered whole then bulls will be offered on your altar. This psalm is dark, deep, unrelenting, and maybe even a bit depressing. It's written by someone in deep pain who needs to be forgiven. This psalm was written by King David as he wrestled with the gravity of his sin after taking another man's wife as a sexual partner. The story goes that when the Israelite army had gone to war, even though David should have been with them because the role of king was to lead the armies of Israel into battle, David stayed in his palace. And one night, he saw a woman named Bathsheba bathing on the roof. So he sent for her and had his way with her, the result of which was she became pregnant. Bathsheba was married to one of David's high-ranking military leaders, and if he came back from the war and found his wife with child, he would be, well, irate. So he sent for Bathsheba's husband and recalled him to the palace. David told him, wise as a serpent, to go and stay at his house, thinking that some shore leave might create some plausible deniability. Let those with ears hear. But Bathsheba's husband refuses. He says, while my soldiers are away from their homes, I will not sleep in mine. But David has an idea. David thinks, this man might have his honor while he's sober. But let's see if other urges don't take over if I can get him drunk. Which is what David does. But the man's honor proves too great for David's schemes because he still will not go to his house and sleep with his wife. When Bathsheba's husband leaves the capital, having not spent time with his wife, David is still in trouble. So he orders one of his captains to plan a mission that is sure to get Bathsheba's husband killed. And that is precisely what happens. David is then confronted by the prophet Nathan, who tells David a parable that mirrors the situation. Nathan presents a scenario about a a man that has all he could ever want, but still takes what little another person has. And then Nathan asks David what should be done with this man. David pronounces harsh punishment on the man who would dare take everything that someone else had, even in his abundance. Nathan tells David, that he, David, is the man, and David falls to his knees in confession. Having been confronted and convicted of his great sins, David pens this psalm about needing a new heart, about needing a new spirit, about needing to be healed by God, about his own guilt. This psalm is gut-wrenching. This psalm is relentless. This psalm is definitely not for every day. No one gets super excited when the first line of this psalm is read. This psalm isn't, don't stop believing, or sweet Caroline, or I want to hold your hand. This psalm is something else. But don't for one minute think it's any less beautiful. He stopped loving her today. They placed a wreath upon his door. Soon they'll ca- Oh wow, soon they'll carry him away. He stopped loving her today. Sorry. I could just see like it was like I was putting my nails on a chalkboard. <laughs> Read the room, buddy. I want to go back to that podcast and back to Bobby Braddock. Bobby, Bra- Bobby Braddock penned some of the saddest songs of all time. He stopped loving her today is probably the best one he wrote and it's probably George Jones' best song. Braddock wrote it as the great love affair of his life was ending, and ending dramatically, I might add. George Jones found it, found the song, as his marriage to Tammy Wynette was dramatically falling apart. Braddock was at one of the lowest points of his life and gives this deeply sad and depressing song to George Jones, who is at one of the lowest points of his life. If you've never heard the song, it's definitely worth a listen. It's got a clever gimmick within it. I'd sing it for you. But I've already done enough damage to your ears. But spoiler alert if you've never heard the song. The reason this man is finally able to stop loving the love of his life is that he's dead. He's killed himself to escape the torture of loving a woman who will never love him again. This song is over the top in a way that only country music can be. But it's deeply powerful because of how specific it is. Whether or not you know what Braddock was going through when he wrote it or what Jones was going through when he recorded it, the song feels real. It feels lived in. And it gets you. If you've ever loved someone who didn't love you, you know. Sure, the song is over the top, but the feeling is there. And that feeling gets you. The song has depth and meaning and power because it is so deeply specific and that specificity is born out of real life, born out of lived experience. But what I want to keep talking about, uh, sorry, but I want to keep talking about the song and what happened to me as I listened to that podcast. George Jones died in April of 2013. They had a memorial service for him at the Grand Ole Opry because of course they did. Years after Joan's life had spiraled out of control uh, following his divorce from Tammy Wynette, he met Nancy Sepulveda, who became his life and the real love of his life. At the memorial, country legends talked about how Nancy had saved George's life and how George would have died decades ago had it not been for Nancy. Then at the very end of the proceedings, Alan Jackson strides out on stage. Takes off his cowboy hat, looks right at Nancy Jones, and launches into, he stopped loving her today. And in that instant, the meaning of the song was transformed. In that moment, the song wasn't about a man who killed himself to escape the painful feelings of unrequited love. For that moment, that song was about the all-time, till-death-do-us-part kind of love. It was about the love that George Jones had for Nancy Jones that could only be parted by death. As I sat in my car listening to that podcast, to Alan Jackson singing and to the host Malcolm Gladwell talking, I thought about my granddad. I thought about how he had loved my granny for over 50 years. And even when she died, he never stopped loving her how he lived on for his family, for his grown children and his grandchildren, but it was clear that without her, he'd never be as happy as he'd been with her. I thought about how he died while sleeping in his favorite chair, and how he stopped loving her that day. And the depth, the beauty, the fullness of it all brought me to tears. I've listened to that podcast five or six times since then. I've never made it through with dry eyes. Part of what we're going to do this summer is look at the sad Psalms, the dark Psalms, because they're painfully specific. Like King David's Psalm 51, they are born out of the pain of lived experience. And it is those Psalms, maybe even more than the happy ones that can touch us, and move us, and transform us. The Psalms run the gamut of human experience. So we are going to look at all manner of Psalms as they touch us, as they move us, as they transform us. May we see ourselves in the Psalms, in the songs of our faith, in the songs of Scripture. And seeing ourselves within the Psalms, let us be healed and transformed as part of God's people led and loved by our God. Let us pray.